to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in, or chapter 5, starting in verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You may be seated. So that is what our, our text will be this morning. Let me go ahead and pray to open us up. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning. Father, we, we praise your name for who you are, that you are a God worthy of all praise. Whether it is here on a Sunday morning or, or sometime on a, on a Wednesday afternoon or, or a Friday evening, you are worthy of all the praise, corporately, individually, in our quiet times, and in the times that we are gathered together to make a joyful noise. Father, you are worthy of all praise. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ, that it is by his blood that poured from his veins upon that cross that we are washed clean. We have his righteousness because he took on our guilt punishment. We can stand before you, we can come before you, we can cry out to you because of what Christ has done. It is the position that we are granted as, as co-heirs with Christ. We are equal in that standing because of what you have accomplished. Father, we pray for those who are not among us this morning, whether it is because of a sickness or, or they are traveling, whatever the case may be. Father, we pray that you would be among them. You would be with them. You would heal them. You would protect them. You would restore them. For we desire we desire fellowship with the body of Christ. We, we need that encouragement from one, one another. We need that exhortation from one another. We need each other. We depend on the body that you have placed us in. Father, we, we pray for those who you have given us as teachers, as preachers, the ones who, who will stand up and, and preach the word of God. And Father, we pray that it is not the words of men, but it is truly the word of God that is pointed to us where, where sin still remains within us, that word would root it out. It would be, as, as said in, in your word in Hebrews, it is a, a double-edged sword piercing, piercing to us. Wherever that sin still is, Father, may it be cut out. May it be removed so that we might be more Christ-like. Point out where we have missed that mark. 
so that we, in our sanctification, will be more Christ-like. All this is by your doing. It is by your hand. So, Father, we bless you. We glorify you. We praise you. We sacrifice a, a praise of worship to you. And so, Father, be among us this morning. We pray because we cannot worship you right in truth and in spirit without your spirit, without your truth. And so, Father, we will do that this morning. May you receive all the glory and all the praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, again, I was, uh, we, we had to quickly shift gears yesterday, and so I, I dusted off a, an old sermon that I did about, about three years ago. Um, so if you were here then, this, this may ring a bell. I don't know. You, you've slept once or twice since then. But, but this is something that, that we need to hear. Also, we just went through the, the, the two books of the, Thessal uh, the, the first and second Thessalonian books not too long ago. So again, some things may, may be refreshers, which is good. That is not a bad thing to be reminded of what the Word of God says. But again, this is, we, I read verses 12 through, 15, or 12 through 22 for you, but we'll be focused on verses 16 through 18. Now, on March 7th, 2020, Malachi Yoder went home to be with the Lord. He was 14 years old when he died. He died of terminal brain cancer that is so rare that it kills about 500 kids a year, one of the rarest that we know of all the cancers. As the parents and grandparents, siblings, aunts and uncles gathered around him, he took his last breath. But as those breaths came, prayers were offered up. Prayers not asking for a miracle for this young man to remain, but prayers of thanksgiving. Thanks to God for the life that Malachi had. Thanks to God for the joy that he brought. Thanks to God for the salvation from eternal punishment and that Malachi would see the very face of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Although there were tears and sadness and the words of the prayers came through ragged breaths, there was joy in that moment. There was joy in that moment. The joy that a redeemed soul would be going home. For the, the prior year and a half leading up to that moment, the family knew that this time would come. Malachi knew that he would die before reaching adulthood, but that did not rob them of being joyful, of being in constant prayer and giving thanks to God in everything. It was difficult then, and at, at times it is still difficult for the family, but those difficult times of struggle, no matter the reason, ought not rob us of what these three verses tell us to do. Now, something that we see, and, and I know I appreciate, about the, the Apostle Paul's writings is his lists. Have you noticed the lists that Paul gives? I appreciate them. We see the, this in, in these 11 verses. There's a number of Christian virtues given that Paul lists out for us. These are, these are the, the Christian virtues or behaviors that should characterize every believer. 
We will call them characteristics of faith this morning. The reason I, I call them characteristics of faith instead of merely behaviors is because anyone can perform a behavior, act out a behavior outwardly. But Paul is writing about here, and what we are commanded by Scripture is something far greater than merely outward appearances and behaviors. We see in our text that we are to always rejo- uh, to be always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks. These are not suggestions or behaviors that we should implement at some time in our lives to make ourselves a better people. But commandments, these are commandments that we are to follow. This portion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and, and again, more specifically, our text, verses 16 through 18, give, gives us some impossible commands to follow. Yet, we are still commanded to, do, to obey them. Matthew chapter 5, verses 48 tells us we are to be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That means to be perfect in our ceaseless rejoicing, consistent prayer life, and constant gratitude. How many of us this morning can say that we have done that this week perfectly? You were always rejoicing this past week. You were in constant prayer this week. And you gave thanks to God. That's a hard hard thing to live up to, a hard thing to do. And there wasn't a single moment where we might have not been thankful for every situation we found ourselves in, was there not? So what do we do with these impossible commands? Someone once said that these commands are not directed at us individually, but rather to the church regarding public worship. Now this person goes on to say that joy and and happiness are not at our command to turn off and on like a light switch. There are plenty of biblical commands to rejoice and be glad in the Lord. And while our corporate worship should be filled with with joy and, and prayer and giving thanks, we will not truly, truly do these things together in corporate worship if we have not been doing them individually during the week. So without a doubt, these commands must apply to us individually first. As I stated, these commands must apply to us individually, and then it will affect the church as a whole. Much like exercising. When we work on one part of the body, it affects other parts of the body. If you did just 20 push-ups a day, I know, that seems like a lot. But if you did 20 push-ups a day, it would build up and strengthen your arms, the chest muscles, the shoulder muscles, the back muscles, and the core, the abdominal muscles. Just 20 push-ups a day. With a strong core and a balanced upper body, your gait and pace of walking will change. Just by working on one thing, it will affect another. Why is it important to serve one another in the body of Christ? Why is it important to be joyful, to be prayerful, 
and to be thankful. It is good because these things build strong and healthy churches. Engaging a healthy church is not just about us corporately when we are gathered, but how we behave individually as believers is also a gauge of the health of the church. Now going back to the analogy that is often used throughout the New Testament about us being a body, being the body of Christ, or being a living body, each being different parts of one body. I know if as a, as a runner or a, or a biker, uh, not a motor biker, but a cyclist, I should say. Let me clarify that. A cyclist cannot run or bike because of an illness or an injury. Their overall health will suffer. Their sleep will suffer. The clarity of mind will dim. And uh, all this will be caused because of, of a simple injury, a pulled muscle, or an illness, or an invading virus. The same applies here when we are at an individual level are not following these three commands that we are speaking of this morning then how can the church as a whole, unified people, be healthy? So this brings us to our, our first point, constant joyfulness. Constant joyfulness. This is verse 16. Now it gives us uh, uh, three, the first of our three commands, and we will work through this this morning. Rejoice always is the given command. Now, how many of us this morning feels that there is some confusion in this verse? It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. There's two words, rejoice and always. Now, how hard is it to rejoice always? The literal translation of that verse is, at all times, be rejoicing. At all times, be rejoicing. We see that, that we need to always be rejoicing, but, but when in reality, when our, when our child is dying or a loved one is on their deathbed or, or we're sick and, or broken physically, emotionally, that is a hard thing to rejoice in. This phrase emphasizes the fact that, that truly joyful Christians have confidence in God's sovereign love and power on them and in his providential work for all things according to his perfect will and plan. To always be rejoicing almost sounds impossible and absurd with, with the many things that, that face each and every one of us on a daily basis. But yet here it is plainly laid out in the Holy Scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. Rejoice always. Perhaps this is just hyperbole. A, a euphemism, a suggestion maybe. Maybe that's how we should take it, right? Because it's impossible to rejoice always. But what does Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now remember, Paul is writing this while he sits in prison. For the second time, telling two different churches to be always rejoicing. We know Paul. We know his history. We know of his conversion and his, the trials and things he went through, his persecutions, the shipwrecks that he endured, 
his successes, his triumphs, how often we do not uh, we, we do not see him rejoicing. How often do we not see him rejoice? How often is he down and, oh, woe is me because of this happened and that happened. I can't rejoice because, well, I was floating in the ocean for a night and a day. I've been on three shipwrecks. I get a pass. No, Paul never says that. This rejoicing is not a human emotion, but a spiritual determination. And you'll see our, our sub-point here. Point A, rejoice in good times. To rejoice in, in good times is, of course, not a hard task. It's not difficult to do. Things are going well. I'm happy. I get my three meals a day. I'm satisfied. What happens when those are removed? Now, this morning, you, you got up before your alarm went off, right? Ready to seize the day, right? And for those of us who have kids, they were, they were on time. They got themselves up. They got themselves dressed. They fed themselves. And they were standing at the door ready to go. I was not waiting on them. Every traffic light on your way here was green. You didn't even have to slow down. You just zoomed right on. It was just a glorious morning, right? Now, is that what we're talking about here when things go our way and to our benefit? What was the charge to the Israelites when they crossed into the promised land? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Then it, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities, which you did not build, and houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns, which you did not dig, vineyards of olive, vineyards and, and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. There are, there are many blessings that the nation of Israel received as it took over the land of Canaan, city by city, moved into homes and fields that they did not build nor prepare. They, fa they failed very quickly to continue to rejoice in the Lord for his provision and his continued blessings with them. We may cast judgment on the nation of Israel and cry out, how dare they? They saw the strong hand of the Almighty God lead them out of Egypt. How dare they forget God? They heard him speak from mountaintops. They, they saw the Shekinah glory how dare they? Yet, one generation later, they were too busy. But now stop and ask the question. Does that describe you? Are you too busy living your life to rejoice in your Lord because of the blessings? Are you too busy enjoying good times and good things? Now, there will be times of trouble. We 
we know this, and, and we should be expectant of this. But in those good times, we must also be mindful to rejoice in the right thing and be focused on the true person who secures our joy. That is what Paul is trying to drive home here. Why can a true believer have ceaseless joy? Take a look at Psalm chapter 30, 34, verse 1. Well, not chapter, but Psalm 34, verse 1. David declares, I will bless the Lord at all times. There were times of trouble in David's life, was there not? But he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In good times and bad times, whether you are receiving a compliment or being reviled, bless the Lord and put his praise in your mouth always. This brings us to point B, rejoice in troubled times. We saw the good times. Now we're going to see what happens in the bad times. I think Paul knew of, of sorrows better than any of his readers or us know in our day. But yet here he's exhorting them to rejoice always. We considered what that might look like in times of plenty, but what about times of famine or times of struggle and persecution? Do we not get a pass when bad things happen to us, when, when ugly things happen, when we get flat tires or when we lose a job, when a marriage is in trouble, or during times of death and grief? What is there to rejoice in during those times? What or who can we rejoice in? Someone could say that, that they did not see Jesus do much rejoicing while he hung on the cross. That was painful. That was agony, full of shame. How could Jesus rejoice in that? But I tell you, he did rejoice while he suffered. How did Jesus conduct himself while hanging on that cross, while taking on the punishment of our sin? How did he conduct himself? He was focused on the glory of the Father. He was not enraged at what injustices had befallen him, even though it was the greatest of injustices. You want to talk about fairness, the story of redemption is most unfair. It is the most unfair arrangement ever in the, human, in, in the history of the human race. Innocence pays the penalty for the guilty. He did not demand deliverance, Jesus did not, or a retrial or retribution, but delighted in his suffering for the glory and for the redemption of those who would be redeemed. Rejoicing in hard times does not mean acting like you are having the time of your life. It is not even having a positive outlook on a bad situation, although that is not a bad thing to have. Rejoicing in a bad situation is having faith. It's having faith in the fact that no matter the circumstances, the God who created the universe by the word of his mouth is the God who is in control of your circumstances. That is rejoicing. I'm facing a hard time, whatever that hard time is. But God, you have it. You are in control. 
Whatever this situation is, whatever I need to learn, I will do it because I love you and I trust you. You will bring me to the end. Let's go back and look at first, uh, uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Physical endurance only comes to repeated physical exertion. Think about that. Physical endurance only comes to repeated physical exertion. So if we are to have spiritual endurance, we must be put to the test continually. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We go through trials and tough times so that the depth of our faith will be revealed to us. How much do I trust the Lord? Squeeze me, God, and let me know. Will my faith waver when my routine is interrupted? Will I waver? We go through trials and tough times so that the depth of our faith will be made known to us. The strength of our faith will be made stronger in order to cling to Christ all the more fervently. And we will survive those trials in tough times because that is a testimony to the power of God. If you are in Christ, he will bring you through. That is the power of the gospel. But we rejoice during these those unpleasant times because of the splendor of who our God is. Rejoice in who your God is no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. No matter if it is the best time of your life, or it seems like your life has been torn upside down. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. This brings us to our second consideration, constant prayerfulness. I think we would all agree that, that we uh, want to be and that we are at somewhat a prayerful people. We would consider ourselves a prayerful people, would we not? But in the same breath, we would also say that we need to excel still more. So what does constant prayer look like? How many people have set a time aside that says, this is my prayer time to the Lord? Some of you have. We surely pray over our meals, and, and when the immediate rises, hey, pray for me, I'm not feeling well. I will pray for you, brother. I will pray for you, sister. But do we do this? What, what constitutes constant prayerfulness? What does Paul mean when he's writing constant prayer? Are we to constantly be in prayer? An active running prayer to God continuously? That could be dangerous when we drive. 
Is that what Paul is telling us to do? Is that even practical to do? The, the thing about the Christian life is that it is both godly and practical. Yes, God demands perfection from imperfect creatures. And that is why he has given us a new heart and a new spirit. He's blessed us with his Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that is also why he is faithful to forgive. There's a, there's a demand, a command there that he has given. You must be holy, for I am holy. And I know you can't be holy because of who you are, so I will forgive you. And I will bless you. And I will enable you to grow. There's practicality to it. But if it is not that, that we are to be in constant, actionable prayer, or prayer time, what is it that we are to be in constant of? What it is that we are to be in constant of? This brings us to point A of our second consideration, uh, our manner of prayer, our manner of prayer. To understand what, what Paul is trying to get us to see, we must first consider how faithful Jesus prayed during his earthly ministry. How often do we find Jesus praying? Quite a lot. Whether that, that be public prayers or, or stealing away to, to pray in private. We find Jesus is, con is in constant communication with the Father. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. This does not mean in a constant state of prayer. But it is a life that is characterized by a desire to be in constant prayer, and then going to prayer when the opportunity arises. A simple word, spontaneity. Brother, I'm not feeling well. Would you pray for me? Instead of saying, yes, I will, let's go and pray now. It doesn't have to be elegant or long-winded, but that is constant prayer. There's an opportunity. There's a need. Let me pray. desire to go to the Lord in prayer and then seizing that opportunity. You see, the life and ministry does not enable Jesus to remain in prayer 100% of the time. He can't. There's times when he's teaching. There's times where he's preaching. There's times where he's confronting and rebuking. He's not in prayer in that moment. But he takes every opportunity to pray. He forgoes sleep to pray. He forgoes eating to pray. That is a life of constant prayer, a desire to pray. Jesus' desire is to be with the Father, and that desire is lived out, demonstrated that every chance he gets, he goes to prayer. Our culture, it seems that, that every chance they get, they go to their phones to get on social media and post things or read things. I just heard somebody whisper, I do that. We all are guilty at some point of doing that. I could pray. Maybe we don't think of it in, in these exact terms. I, I could pray, but let me go check Facebook. I could pray. I need to go tweet this thing. But that is what we do. That is what we do. 
A believer who is characterized by a life of prayer is also a life characterized by so many other things. A life of submission. If you, if you are in constant prayer, a desire to pray to God, you will submit to God and his commands. A life of confession. If you're in prayer, you will confess your sins. You will desire to confess them because he is righteous to forgive all unrighteousness. A life of petition. You're not trying to solve all your problems by yourself first. You go to God. You give him your petition. Intercession. A life of intercession. A life of praise and a life of thanksgiving. These things come out if you desire and are in prayer to God constantly. This, the ceaseless portion of this command is not an, an endlessness of kneeling and pleading at the foot of your bed. That's not what we're talking about. But instead, it should characterize our lives in that we so easily go to the Lord in prayer for all manner of things, without prodding, without reluctance, and without regard to how eloquent we might be perceived. It could be a simple prayer. Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. And these are my sins. There's nothing elegant about that. Your prayers do not need to be elegant for God to hear them. The manner in which we pray is important. We are, we are coming before the, the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the throne of grace. And we do so with boldness and righteousness because of what Christ has done. But he has done so much other things as well. We have been given that manner in how we are to pray. In Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 gives us a good pattern to follow. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You'll notice I highlighted words. These are the things that God does that we are asking. That is a life of prayer. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And I will seek you. And I will pray to you. That is what we're talking about. That's the, the model Jesus gave there. This is, this is something we, we ought to be teaching our children to understand that, that pattern and, and that praying comes from the innermost part of us. A lot of times you'll see us the, in the Psalms, Oh, Lord, my God. That's not a simple little letter. That is an act of crying, pleading, pouring out our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, my God. You are my God. There is no other. Give thanks to God for being God. That's a great way 
to start a prayer. I don't know what to pray about. Just give thanks to God for being who he is. List, list off his attributes. Thank him for the gospel, for the, the plainness, and, but the richness that is found within the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to ask for a full tank of gas or, or to make it to payday. We can, if those are needs, he will meet our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. But what is so much more is God is not a convenience store. He is the blessing of blessings. To merely have God is a blessing. You have been called out of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. Co-heirs with Christ. Oh, that prayer would never get old. Thank you that you have redeemed me. You have called me. You have justified me. And you will glorify yourself through glorifying me. May I live that life that brings you glory. So this brings us to our, our second consideration, our motivation to pray. We have seen the, the manner in, in what our constant prayer life should be, but what should be the motivation of our prayer life? What should be that motivation? There are nine motivations that I will call out. This is not an inclusive list. There are other things to consider, but I have nine. Now these nine uh, uh, I came up with, you can come up with with any number of others as well that would be a good exercise to do to consider and work through but the first one here is glorify God the 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 first motivation should be that our desire to glorify the father to glorify the son to glorify the holy spirit it is this motivation that Jesus models in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 that we just read he says hallowed be your name May you have glory upon glory. May all praise be to you. Jesus is demonstrating for us that, that we are to follow the example in this prayer, which is a form of private worship directly to the Father, motivated by the Holy Spirit and perfected through Jesus Christ. It is an opportunity to focus our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength on Him and Him alone. Praise God for being God is a great way to, to begin to glorify Him. List off his, his attributes. List off His characters while praying to Him. You will be amazed with how many you see, which how many come to mind. Number two, fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. We can experience fellowship with God through prayer. Why should that be a, a big deal, that fellowship with God? Well, many of you have seen the calendar this week. Valentine's Day is coming up. And for those married or, or dating, you uh, uh, it's an opportunity to spend time with your loved one, to, to get to know them, to learn. Some of us who have been married for a long time, you're like, there's nothing more I need to learn. I already know everything about my spouse. Oh, but there's more to learn. There's more depth to explore. 
things that you can experience while spending time together. Companionship, encouragement, expressions of love and commitment. Those who are married, these should not be foreign things. And therefore, should not be foreign with your relationship with your God. A marriage union is the most intimate relationship between husband and wife. Between two humans that can have any type of relationship. It is the most intimate. But the relationship between each believer and God is even more intimate. How much more should we seek to be in communion? with God. Number three, provision from God. Provision from God. One of the the many names of God is Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. We we look at, at the natural world around us and we see that all of creation is cared for, not perfectly now because of what sin did. Sin entered and brought with it death disease and disaster but creation all of creation is still maintained and cared for by God but we see as Jesus tells us that the birds of the air and the flowers of the field do not toil for themselves but God provides for them and if God takes care of the the birds of the air and the the flowers of the fields if we are more important what will he do for us he gives let your let your needs be known to God and, and trust that they will be fulfilled that's a hard thing to do yeah I can tell God but now let me go solve for them trust that God will fulfill those needs or let you know that that's really not a need You look at the life of George Mueller, a man of prayer. He would make his needs known to God, and those needs would be met. There's no food in the orphanage. Let me pray. And then the next day, he'd have plenty of food or or be given a gift of money to go buy the food. He didn't send out a, a tweet. He didn't post it on Facebook saying, hey, the kids have no food. That's a man who trusted in God's provision. Chapter 4, or not chapter 4, point 4, wisdom of God. James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given, given to him. We We can go to the Father at any time to get the wisdom of God but we must ask with the right motives so that we will bring him glory in what he has provided to us. King Solomon, for example, asked for wisdom in reigning over God's people, and it was given to him, and many more blessings were added. He didn't just want the wisdom of God for the benefit of himself. He said, I can't can't rule over, I can't reign over your people. I can't take care of them within my own wisdom, Lord. I need your wisdom. And God said, since you asked for the wisdom, I will also grant you all these other things. 
Solomon asked with the right motives. But his son ruled in his own wisdom, and the kingdom was torn in two. Solomon was discipled by his father David, a man after God's own heart, to have an understanding of who God is, to have a, a fear of God. We should be motivated to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to do that, we must be a people of prayer. Be a people of prayer. Number five, deliverance of God. God is a deliverer. If you didn't know, let me clean that up. God delivers his people. He has demonstrated this truth throughout all of human history. He delivered Adam and Eve from immediate death and destruction. He delivered Noah and his family. He delivered the, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of Syria, and out of Babylon. Many of those deliverances that we observe throughout Scripture or, or see or even experience in our own lives do not just happen um, do not do not just happen by God's doing. Now let me justify that statement. God knows what you're going through. God knows all the details, the situation, everything. And God knew what the Israelites were going through in Egypt. But he waited until they cried out. He desired his children to come to him in earnest and con consistent prayer for deliverance. Part of that is, is what is called the fullness of time. When you recognize, I can't fix this. I can't solve this. I can't get myself through it. I will cry out to God. When you come to the end of yourself, that is where we begin with God. The fullness of time in God's perfect timing. Number six, peace of God. This world has so many things that vie for our attention and quite frankly for our affections. When we give either one of those or both of those to this world, we will reap the only things this world has to offer worry, frustration, and anxiety. Sure, there are things that can, be, uh, can bring joy from this world, but that is only fleeting. But when we have the peace of God, and we were hearing about this in our Second Peter study, but when we have the peace of God and are reminded, when we are reminded of what this is, and it is strengthened through prayer, what will we reap? What will we reap? Our faith is strengthened. Our hearts and minds are reinforced by the truth of who God is. We are reminded that his peace surpasses all comprehension and will guard our hearts and our minds. His peace that only he can provide comes through consistent, constant prayer where we lay those worries at the, at the throne and we look at the everlasting king, where we, we, uh, um, we see the eternal hope of glory and we get the right perspective with regards to all things. We see God in his glory. We see God in his goodness. We see God in his excellence. Those worries and fears that we may have for this situation, we understand. 
God is from eternity to eternity. Our problems are temporal. Our, our struggles are temporal. When we're reminded of the peace that we have with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, those problems, those worries, the issues, the struggles, the trials and temptations are put in their place. God is greater. He will get me through this. Gratitude to God is number seven. Thankfulness should, should not be limited to material blessings that we, that we have been given. Many of us have been, or all of us should say, I have been blessed physically through physical means. But what about all the life experiences that you have? All the life experiences you've gone through. Those are blessings as well. The people God has placed into your lives. For those who brought great joy. But also for those who brought great sorrow. We should be praising God through prayer for the, the many blessings that we have been given in our own lives. In the lives of those around us. But also the blessings that came before us. How grateful are we that there was a reformation some 500 years ago? That men and women of such strong faith were burned alive so that we could own copies of English Bibles and sit in a non-Catholic church this morning. We should not forget the blessings received once they are received. God, I have a need. God fulfills the need. Then we move on. Never forget the blessings God has given. And here's something to be mindful of. Whenever we have a sense of thanksgiving, a sense of thankfulness, just stop right there, if you can, and offer up a little prayer of thanksgiving. That's another form of constant prayer life. Forgiveness from God is number eight. The forgiveness that, that those in, in Christ enjoy is secured by the blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. We pray that, that all will have it. That all men will come to taste of the sweetness of redemption. But not all men will because the sons of darkness love the darkness more than the light. But for those of us who are of the light, but yet still dwell in vessels of flesh, we are prone to wander prone to sin and therefore still need to seek forgiveness when we stumble. And the great grace and mercy of our God is on display in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's a familiar verse. We, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is, not will be, not could be, not might be. He is faithful to forgive. Our, our ninth one here is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. The, the last one that I will cover, again, is, 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 um, is about spiritual growth. And again, we hear about that in our, in our Second Peter study. We pray for that growth. But we need to be working 
for that growth as well. Think about your Bible reading for a moment. I know it's only February. Hopefully no one has stumbled yet. But if you have, today's a great day to pick it back up. Now think back over the last few years and, and what you knew or understood about the Bible and where you are now. If you think back to this time last year or this time two years ago, three years ago, whatever that case may be, say this is what I knew or this is what I understood, but now I understand this. That is growth. That is growth. God causes the growth. Think about your level of commitment to be involved in fellowship with the saints. Sunday morning services. Our first hour and our Bible study hour. Our nursery. Children's church. Youth group. Thursday night Bible study. Or Tuesday night Bible study in Bella Vista. Fun nights. Men of hope. Handmaidens. Women helping women. These are ministries of service and fellowship and opportunities for spiritual growth. This brings us to our third consideration, constant thankfulness. I know we just covered gratitude to God as a motivation to ceaseless prayer, but a heart and a life of thankfulness will drive a life of prayer. If your prayer life is cold, how thankful are you to the Father of all blessings? Take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. If you are not thankful to God for all things, good and bad, then you have a foolish heart. You have a foolish heart. There are two parts of being thankful and doing so to God's glory. The first part seems pretty straightforward. We are to demonstrate and give thanks to God for his blessings. And the top one on our list should be our salvation. Who else should we be giving thanks to, though? There's, there's God that we thank, but is there anybody else? If a, if a brother or a sister in, in Christ provides a meal for another family during a, a time of need, does that family who receives it only need to pray and give thanks to God. Thank you, God, that they were generous and had mercy to provide something to me. Is that the only time? Is that the only one who would give thanks in that time of need? I say, may it never be. We are called to be known to the world by our love for one another. We are called to, to demonstrate our, our love for one another so that the world, the unregenerate world that is focused on self, we'll see the demonstrated self-sacrificial love that one saint has for another. The providing of a meal is a great gesture of love, a great gesture of care, and a great, great uh, a gesture of mercy. But giving thanks to one another demonstrates our humility and our unity. To, and to give thanks to one another is to admit really to declare and to submit to the truth that we cannot do anything on our own. We need the body. We must be united together in worship, in fellowship, and in living life 
together. Giving thanks for and to a brother or a sister in Christ is one way to give thanks in everything. Now the second part of giving thanks is is doing so with the right motivation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 tells us to do all things to the glory of God, regardless if it is the most mundane and everyday task. We are not talking about going through the motions here of giving thanks. We are to actually be thankful from the heart. Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. Many of us know this one. The parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay all of all I pay tithes of all that I get. He said the words, I thank you. But was he really thankful? No. If he were to lose those things that he had, all the all the things that he he was given, the position and the power and the prestige, the esteem that he gets, if he lost all those, what would his prayer look like? If we lost those things, if we lost anything, what would our prayer look like? Romans chapter 8 verse 28 reminds us that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, when it says God causes all things, do we in our mind go, all good things? The temptation is there. But we must remember all things includes those things that we would consider bad. A stumble, a struggle, a trial. God causes all these to come together for good. But again, looking at this verse closely, as it does declare to us that something has been made known to us, a truth of God. This is a character of God being revealed to us. God who causes all things to work together. Now we have to take those eight words together. As, as God is not the source of evil, but he does out of his divine wisdom and divine plan cause all those things, good and bad, to come together for an end result that is good. I'm struggling right now, Lord. Whatever it is, I've, I've got this struggle. I'm going through a bad time. Work is not being fun anymore. Whatever, whatever the case may be. God will bring all those to a good ending. For your benefit. So even when, when bad things happen to us, we must remember, do not take your eyes off of the one who redeemed us. 
Your redemption is through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father. No matter what the circumstances in life are, never take your eyes off of him. And we also must continually give thanks for the circumstances that we are in. I know it's hard to do. I know it's hard to remember in the moment. But rejoice always and give thanks in everything. Because these things are truly for our benefit. Even though in our finite minds we do not understand it and we don't see it. They are for our benefit. And this brings us to our final uh, our final consideration. Conducting the will of God. The second half of verse 18 is just as important as verse 16. This portion of the text is, is, is many times overlooked as to its significance. For this is God's will. That phraseology there is not limited to the third exhortation but it's applicable to all three. We are commanded by God to do these things because that is God's will for us. Many times we wonder what God's will is for us. God, what is your will for my life? Right? There are many times where at some point, I should say, some point in our lives, we have asked that question. Either out loud or in our own mind. What is your will for me? What is God's will for my life? So Charlotte, who is now 16, and the manner that I parent her is much different than how I do Francesca. We are at the point with Charlotte where we have to start building a path for her future. As many of you know, she is very artistically talented. I'm still not sure which side of the family that comes from, so I have to presume that it is a gift of God because I can't draw stick figures. But we are to the point where we, we are starting to figure out what do we want to do? What does Charlotte want to do with her life from a job perspective, from a career perspective? Now, we could go through the, 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 the process of which schools could she go to to advance her skills, to get a degree or or whatever that is. We're not that's that's not the will of God per se. If Charlotte goes to one school to learn or another school to learn, that's not violating the will of God as long as it does not interfere with the commands laid out in scripture. Then we're talking about interrupting God's will for her life. As you look at these three commands, Rejoice always. By going to one school or another school to pursue an art and career, will that affect, will that prevent her from rejoicing always? No. It shouldn't. And if it does, then we have to reconsider. The will of God is for us to be in constant joy, constant prayer, and constant thankfulness. The will of God is, is not a path to riches. It is not a path to stuff and possession and positions. It is not the greatest amount of esteem that we might get from others. 
Where stands it written that God wants us to have our best life now? And I mean within Scripture. Where does it stand written? At the end of verse 18 contains a qualifier. For you in Christ Jesus. Remember this letter is written to churches. It's written to believers. It's written to those who are in Christ. They have trusted in, in his completed work on the cross for redemption. They have, they have repented of their sins and continue to repent of them. They have died with Christ. They were buried with him. And they were raised with him. Now if that describes you, then you are in Christ. And this is God's will for you, that you rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything for the good things and the bad things. None of us like discipline, but we are disciplined for our benefit. Our parents are sinners, and they will err when disciplining us, but they love us. And when our Heavenly Father disciplines us, He will not err. It is a demonstration of how the Lord loves us so. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. We think of discipline as a bad thing, do we not? I don't know who signs up for extra discipline. It's a bad thing. We don't, we don't want to go through it. It's hard. It hurts our feelings. It gets us down emotionally. We don't want to go through it. We're, we're proven wrong when we, a lot of times when we're reproved, rebuked, when we're disciplined. We don't like that. Our flesh does not like that. Whether you have, been, uh, you have a dream job or not, be overjoyed. Be in prayer. And be thankful for the one you have. Whether your marriage or other relationships are pristine and trouble free or not. Be overjoyed. Be in prayer. And be thankful for those that you have. Whether you have all the best stuff in the world. Well don't worry so much about that. And be overjoyed. Be in prayer. And be thankful for the stuff you do have. It is all a blessing. Now, as we wrap this up, I, I think Joseph knew some troubled times, just as the Apostle Paul did. Being be betrayed by his older brothers and sold into slavery, going from being the, the favorite son of the family, the father doted on him. But he was sold into slavery. Now he's nothing but a Hebrew slave in a foreign land. That's a huge culture shock if, if we have ever experienced it. Then the, the master's conniving wife lies about his character and gets him thrown into jail for two years. And then when he helps somebody out, they forget him. That's a pretty rough life. It's hard to go through. But he also receives some serious blessings. God caused everything that he touched to prosper whether in the, the house of his master Potiphar or while in, in jail or in second command over all G Egypt. 
no matter where or what situation he was in, Joseph uh, rejoiced. Whether he was mistreated or not, he rejoiced. Now, Joseph, as I said, was mistreated. Did he rejoice? Of course he did. Jesus was mistreated. Did he rejoice? Yes. You will be mistreated. Will you rejoice? Be always rejoicing, no matter the circumstances. Pray without ceasing. Have a heart and a mind willing and able to commune with your heavenly Father for his glory, fellowship, provision, wisdom, deliverance, peace, gratitude, forgiveness, and spiritual growth that only comes from him. Give thanks in everything for all the circumstances that you find yourself. Give thanks and, and conduct yourself in his will so that he will be honored and praised and glorified. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The result of living out these characteristics will give validity to the gospel that we hope in, so that others will want and desire to know more. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, remi reminds us to always be giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So let us do that now together with the word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for this specific text, but, but we thank you for the, the wholeness of your word, and, and these commands may seem so simple, so little, but yet they are expounded on, they are explored, they are, they are communicated throughout your word. Father, may we look upon ourselves and examine ourselves to see where we have missed following this, and may we be empowered by, by the Holy Spirit to to do this all the more so we are more Christ-like as he is our example, he is our head. Father, I pray that we will, we will see where the changes need to happen and, and you will enable us to make them. Father, we just give all this time to you, glory to you and honor. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.